Welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for Good Friday. So hopefully you have with you a candle and what you need for communion. This can be bread and juice, but it doesn't have to be. It can be any kind of food or drink that you have around in your house. Uh, if you don't have these things, this would be a really great time to pause this and go and get them. Uh, if you do have these things, uh, what we'd like you to do is to place these things on a table nearby where they can be visible during our time together tonight. So, uh, we have a candle here and the very first thing uh, I'd like us to do together before we get started tonight is for all of us to light our candle together. So tonight is Good Friday. Uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church has been coming together to remember Good Friday. Uh, the first Good Friday services, they actually started around 400 AD. And for the past 1600 years, the church has been remembering Good Friday in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, the Lutheran Church, for example, there's a lot of Lutheran churches who hold their Good Friday services in the dark. They take away all the lights. Um, some of them, they consider it to be a day of fasting from food. Uh, in the Orthodox Christian Church, one of the things they do in their services is they reenact the burial of Jesus. So they do this by going around their church building and taking down these images that represent Jesus, and they put them inside this symbolic tomb, and they cover them so these images that they've seen in the church all year, they can't see them anymore. Um, there's a lot of these Orthodox churches that have a crucifix that's seen throughout the entire year, this statue of Jesus hanging on a cross. And a lot of these statues are designed where the body of Jesus can be taken off of the cross and it's placed inside of this symbolic tomb on Good Friday. So on Good Friday, this cross that they've seen Jesus on for the entire year, they come in and he's not there anymore. Um, on Good Friday, the Catholic Church, they don't ring any of their bells throughout the day. Um, they also consider it to be a day of fasting from food. Uh, Good Friday is one of the only days in the year where the Catholic Church, the priests don't bless the bread and the cup like they do every other day of the year. And for their Good Friday services, before anyone comes into the church, uh, they cover all of the sculptures and the images and the art that is normally displayed inside of the Catholic Church. So when people come in to a Good Friday service, uh, these images, these beautiful things that they're used to seeing, they walk in and they don't see them anymore. So in, in essence, there's a lot of ways that the church remembers Good Friday, but it seems what every faith tradition of Christianity has in common is on Good Friday. They take away these things that they are used to doing and these things that they're used to seeing. Uh, how familiar is that today, right now? Um, it seems like the entire world is forced into that situation tonight on Good Friday. We, there have been things that we're used to seeing and doing that have been taken away. We don't see them, we, we don't do them together right now. Uh, but for the church, this has always been an intentional thing that they've done and they did this for a very specific purpose. 
the mindset was by taking away these things that we often see and that we often do, uh, it allows us on Good Friday to focus on the reason why we've come together. Um, by taking away the things that we're used to seeing, the things that we're used to doing, it allows us to see what's left so much more clearly. Uh, all of us have ex been experiencing this too lately. Um, right now, because we're not allowed to go out together and meet at places together, we're thinking of the places that we wish that we could go. We're thinking of the people that we wish that we could go out with the relationships that we have with our family and our friends, they have just become so much more noticeable in this season. Um, when we see an empty shelf in the grocery store, we notice the food in our own pantries so much more than we used to. Because we are supposed to be keeping our distance away from each other, uh, we notice the people around us that we would normally ignore and pass by without paying any attention to, but we see everybody when we're out in public in the grocery store. Um, because we aren't allowed to go to church, we much more clearly see what the church actually is in this season. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the church has been practicing taking away the things that we are used to seeing and the things that we're used to doing so that we can see what's left so much more clearly, and that's Jesus. Um, like I said, in the Catholic Church on Good Friday services, they cover all these images and sculptures and art before people come in for the service. But there's one thing that is left uncovered in Good Friday services, and that is one cross. And one by one, everyone in the service comes up and they touch the cross to remember everything that it represents and everything that it symbolizes. And this tradition, it came from this legend that around 400 AD, about the same time that Good Friday services actually started, it's said that a group of people found the actual cross that Jesus was crucified on. And there's this story written in the diary of this nun from that same time period where she went to a Good Friday service in Jerusalem. And in that Good Friday service, they brought in the cross that was just found and they set it in front of people. And one by one, the people stood up and they went to the cross and they touched it because this cross that had been lost, that had meant so much to them, it had been discovered again. Our hope and our prayer for all of us tonight is that in a time like this, where without our own choosing, so much of what we're used to seeing and so much of what we're used to doing being taken away, we might be able to focus on why we're coming together like this on a night like tonight. Our hope and our prayer is, is that in a time like this, just by retelling the story and remembering the things that happened on Good Friday, all of us might discover the cross in a way that we haven't yet. Uh, so on the topic of the passion of Jesus, that, um, that Good Friday and the whole experience of the crucifixion is called, um, the term passion actually comes from the suffering, uh, the suffering of Jesus. And um, to tell the story 
I believe brings up a bunch of questions, um, but a bunch of truth at the same time. And the story typically begins, um, some people begin the story by telling um, of the time that Jesus broke the bread and he held up the cup and said, this is my body and this is my blood. And some people begin the story by telling it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, So it just depends on the tradition that you come from. Our tradition honors both. Um, But as far as the value of tonight, our story is going to begin in the garden. And the fact that Jesus goes to pray because he is distressed. Um, First of all, I come to a place when I think about the story of Jesus being distressed to a point that he pulls away, he cries out to God, and he begins sweating blood thinking about the things that are about to happen to him. The thing that my heart and my mind uh, begins to take me to is this idea of like, what is God thinking? And the two aspects of God, like God as son and God as father, what is God thinking in the moment of the garden when Jesus is there on his hands and knees praying and saying, If this moment doesn't have to happen, please make it stop. Because um, as a father, if, 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 if Zion came to me and be like, man, this thing I know is about to happen, if you can make it stop, I'm the type of father who I will stop it at all costs because I never want to see my kid in pain. And, and the story begins in this garden and I think it's brilliant that it begins in a garden because the whole story of the Bible begins in a garden and Jesus is under a tree and our story in the Bible begins with a tree and and Jesus is kneeling here at this tree praying to his father saying does this really need to happen and if it does so be it So Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and he's sweating blood and he's in distress. And the disciples who followed him to the garden, they fall asleep. And I think that the disciples typically get a bad rap. Um, I've heard so many times, you know, people talking about how could the disciples fall asleep? How could they fall asleep? I would fall asleep. I fall asleep at 10 o'clock every night, like clockwork. I can't stay up late. And the fact that the disciples fell asleep as Jesus was praying, I actually think is a really beautiful picture because if I had Jesus right by my side and he was praying, I would fall asleep too. Um, There'd be like this feeling of comfort. And I'm sure they were exhausted. And the disciples are sleeping by Jesus' side. Jesus is praying. And the story goes that soldiers came in to arrest Jesus. And Jesus 
was betrayed by one of his own and his name was Judas. That brings me to another question, another place of pain, which I think, you know, thinking about the betrayal of Jesus, the very feeling of betrayal itself is painful. And Jesus being Jesus, he knows how things are going to go down. Even in fact, like he knew it during the time he broke the bread and he raised the cup. He knew Judas was going to be betraying him. But there in that moment, he actually did. And what did that feel like? Especially after he had this passionate moment of sweating blood and calling out to his father. And in that moment, what was God thinking? God the Father and God the Son. The thing that people don't get, like, like the thing that people don't get about this time in the crucifixion story is why was he arrested? The Jews had something against Jesus. And the empire didn't have anything about Jesus, but... But the Jews knew how to play the empire to get their agenda done. See, during this time, during the time of Jesus and and during um, the rule of the Roman Empire, the empire was trying to build this place of peace, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they would go in and conquer and say, submit. They would go and conquer and say, submit. Go and conquer and say, and submit. And in these different um, cities and tribes and people groups and countries, they would all submit to Rome. And the biggest crime against Rome for a country, a tribe, a people group, it would be um, to rise up and say, you are not the authority. We have the authority. We have our own king. This would be the greatest crime against the empire. You see, the Jewish people were split. There were the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin. They were trying to keep the Hebrew people safe. Um, the Jewish pieces, they were afraid because they have been stomped on forever. And then there was Jesus. And people the previous Sunday were shouting things kind of like, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail the King. Praise be the King. And that would put shivers down the spine of anyone who was trying to keep the Pax Romana the peace of Rome. And so for the Pharisees and Sadducees who have been trying to trick Jesus into saying something wrong, um, trying to pigeonhole him into saying some blasphemous thing, then to hear that people are saying he is the king, it causes people to panic. So when the Sanhedrin takes Jesus to Pontius Pilate, who is the ruling authority over that area during the time. He is like the ambassador of Rome. When they take him to Pontius Pilate, he actually cannot see anything wrong with him at all. And, and he asks him, 
what have you done? Like, why are you here? And Jesus says the most brilliant thing. And he could have said anything. He said, I've come to testify to the truth. What is God thinking? God the Father, God the Son. I have come to testify to the truth. And Pilate goes to the Jewish people and he's like, I mean, like, it seems that Pilate has a good head on his shoulders. And so he brings out this guy named Barabbas who is um, in jail for murder. Barabbas actually, uh, in Hebrew, Barabbas, Ba, uh, son of, and then Rabbis, Abba, father, son of the father, son of man. <laughs> um, Barabbas, son of man. He brings this murderer out whose name is literally the son of man or son of the father, or son of the teacher. And he says to the Jewish people, I will let you pick. Do you want to set Jesus free or Barabbas free? It's almost like they both have the same name. And they say, let the son of man go free. Which, going back to the place of the beginning of our story, the garden, Adam, son of man. I mean, there is no better author. And Pilate was perplexed because the son of God is sentenced to death while the son of man goes free. The Jewish people hand him to Rome to crucify as a political criminal, but Rome gives him back to the Jews and says, you do what you want with him because the empire, the Holy Roman Empire can find no fault with Jesus. So Jesus is taken, um, he's, he's instantly stripped of his clothes and humiliated. And it seems to be a theme. There's this whole posture of God of giving up everything for us. And in the giving up of everything, it's this coming to earth and being in human form and then eventually being stripped of his clothes and humiliated. This is God. Can you imagine stripping God of his clothes and making fun of him being naked? And then soldiers whipped him and beat him. Jesus carried a cross his own cross. There's something humiliating even about that. 
he knew that he is carrying the thing that is going to torture him and carry him and he has to take it to the place that they will plant it in the ground and nail him to it and so he carries his cross as a parade of people surround him some of the people i imagine are cheering and excited for the festivities some are mortified some are terrified some are confused many were there the sunday before saying hail to the king they get to this place that the crucifixions are done um, there are these specific places outside the city because there can't be human sacrifices or human torturing things inside the holy cities and so jesus i mean here's the thought jesus took his cross outside the holy city uh, they put spikes through his hands um, soldiers took a hammer and spikes um, traditionally people called them nails but these were nine inch spikes um, that they pelted through his hands and through his feet as he he was there laying down sprawled out chest exposed in different exercise postures when you put out your chest they say open up your heart and I think like this this posture of Jesus getting these nine-inch spikes thrust through his hands and him opening up his heart to the world as this beam gets hoisted up and traditionally at crucifixions it was a spectacle and people cheered like can you imagine Jesus the blood on his hands and his feet being hoisted up and people cheering after all he came to testify to the truth there was a mockery this whole thing was about humiliation and being poked fun of and teased and there was a crown of thorns um, these thorns were made from vines from a bush because after all he was being crucified for being a king a king of the Jews a pol it was politics and so these soldiers these Roman soldiers they take the twine and the the things from from these branches that have big thorns some say they were like three inches big and they thrust them on his head and said you're the king of the Jews what was God thinking God the Father and God the Son his mom was there he was being crucified as a criminal and as far as everyone knew he was he was put on trial and he was a criminal 
and Mary was there, what was she thinking? What was he thinking? There were two other people who got crucified at the same time. And that, that causes you to kind of like come to this place of like, Jesus hadn't been the center of attention. I mean, like, there were others. It hadn't been this big show. There had been uh, this criminal who, like, from the bat, from, like, right off the bat, he gave up hope and he kind of just, he was poking fun of the whole thing. And I don't know if that would be, you know, trying to find humor in a bad situation. But then there was a second um, who saw Jesus for who he was. And Jesus saw him for who he was. And Jesus spoke vocabulary of paradise, saying, surely you and I will be together in paradise. As the three of them were hanging on crosses, there's a couple things that happened during this time Typically during a crucifixion, the whole, the whole idea of it is just not to kill someone. Killing people is easy. A cross is all about torture and pain and a slow death. And oftentimes it's about the birds coming and picking the bodies apart and people coming and seeing, here's the thing that happens if you betray Rome. It's like, that's, that's the point of a crucifixion. And so everyone can see you and know that that is the penalty for betrayal or treason. And that's what Jesus was on the cross for, was for treason and betrayal. But Jesus didn't have a slow death. During a typical crucifixion process, uh, they would break bones and um, by breaking the bones in their femurs they would collapse and they would suffocate and gag and choke on their own blood and not be able to breathe but, but by the time the soldiers came around to break bones he was already dead and when Jesus died People said the sky went black. The sky went black and the earth shook. The sky went black for three hours. Jesus seems to be this fan of three because he had been in the tomb for three days and there was three hours that the sun was blotted out. Which, there's a Sabbath theme here too. If you think about it, Sabbath was dictated by the sun and when the sun went down. 
No one ever talks about this. And the Jewish people, they begin their Sabbath by breaking bread and raising their cup when the sun goes down. When did the sun go down on that Friday? No one knew. Because it was black. That meant no one broke bread and no one put up the cup. Because there was no sun going down. It was just black. And the curtain in the temple that the Jewish people would go into to say, like, like God is behind this curtain. Um, it was the thing that kept, separated the presence of God between him and the common people. And the only people that could go into, be under the curtain, behind the curtain, and experience the presence of God, they were like a single person a year. The high priest would go into this space. And when Jesus died, there was a split that went up this curtain as if to say, God is not hiding behind the curtain anymore. When Jesus died, the sky went black and the curtain split and there was no separation and there was no Sabbath. And the proclamation of who Jesus was, it was said by a Roman soldier who said, surely this must be the Son of God. It was after it was all said and done and the big show was over and the politics were put aside and the breath was out of it and the sky went dark. It was in the covering up and in the absence that the true nature and the revelation of who Jesus was was obvious even to a soldier. So this is where the story of Good Friday ends for now, in darkness. Uh, this candle that we lit in the beginning of our time together, this represents normal. It represents familiar. It represents all the things that we are used to doing and the things that we are used to seeing. Uh, even in the short amount of time in your homes, maybe you've even forgotten that this candle was actually there, but here it is. So the next thing that we would like to do together is for all of us to blow our candles out together. So at the actual crucifixion, um, Jesus' friends who were witnessing this, when Jesus died for them, it was probably like a candle went out. Uh, and the only thing left was his body there on the cross. We've just blown our candles out, and the only thing left on the table for us is Jesus' body, um, the bread and the cup. Back then, it was probably this sense of dread and hopelessness. What are we gonna do with what's left? 
But for us, we know that this is everything that we could ever need. This is what we talk about all year long. And on Good Friday, after the candle went out, what's left on the table is Jesus's body, which is everything we've ever needed. Because of everything that happened on the cross on Good Friday, no matter what gets blown out, no matter what gets taken away, there is always Jesus left on the table. That is our constant. He is always, always on the table. And we can always, always benefit from his body and his blood. So because this is true, we'd like to end tonight by receiving communion together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. On this night, and in this season, as candles are extinguished, may you see what remains on the table always. May you discover the cross in ways that you haven't before. And may peace be with you. And may you be well. I pray this over us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.